Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews, insights, project management, leadership trainings and lessons learned from the field of healthcare to improve the delivery of your projects and business performance. Hi, welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. And in today's episode, I am interviewing Celine Duram and Susie O'Callaghan, and they are based in St. Wilfrid's Hospice. Celine is the chair of trustees and Susie is the director of nursing. I wanted to get them both on because this podcast is all about healthcare and I wanted to showcase a different sort of organisation. The hospice is a charity, so... Being entrepreneurial, being very business-minded is extremely important to them. They are supported heavily by volunteers and they only get a small percentage of their funding from the NHS. So they have to be very commercially minded. And what was really nice in this interview was that I learned lots. I learned that they obviously have got their core services and they um, they recruit volunteers. They also have retail. So they have lots of income streams coming in and out of the business. They recently built a new build for their hospice, which they're extremely proud of. Um, It sounds really exciting. And one thing that came across really heavily in this interview is the culture within this organisation sounds incredible. They've got a very clear mission and aim and how they recruit, how they treat people, the service they give their patients has created a really strong and focused culture on quality and kindness. Another thing that was really nice about this interview is that Celine and Susie are the first duo that I've had on. And when I asked Celine to come onto the podcast, she said, yes, um, I'm going to be joined with another member of my team. So I asked them about what makes good teamwork. And they said, open and honest communication. And it's one of our values. I'm looking at it on my whiteboard at the moment. Just can't underestimate it. And when you have that open and honest communication, it's just amazing. It's worth its weight in gold. And one important message they wanted to share with us all is that working in a hospice, I think when people think it's time to go to the hospice, it's, you know, like it's time to die. And it's a sad and depressing and dark and dismal place. And that's not the case. It really isn't. They absolutely love working there. They support a range of illnesses. And it's not just about that immediate, sad, unfortunate period where people's coming to the end of their life they support people for long amounts of times they support patients for sometimes quite a long duration of time helping them to live the best life that they can so I really hope that you enjoy this it's packed full of business tips some of them aren't always obvious but when you hear them talk when you hear their dynamic even though I didn't ask the question around their leadership styles they shared that Um, it was I really enjoyed it and I hope that you take I know that you will take so much from this interview. So if you like it, please like, share and comment on our social media. And yeah, have a cup of tea and take a listen. It's my pleasure to um, welcome Celine Duram and her colleague, Susie O'Callaghan to the podcast today. Thank you both so much for joining us. Please could you give the audience a little bit of an introduction to your roles please? So I'm Celine Jerram. I'm the um, I'm a trustee at St Wilfrid's Hospice in Chichester and I've recently taken on the role as chair of the board. Uh, Susie O'Callaghan, I'm a director of nursing for St Wilfrid's Hospice in Chichester. 
Um, I've been with the organisation for about two and a half years. And Celine, you and I know each other because we worked together at a training hub in Brighton. And I think I'd started in a, like, I think maybe that's that same week. You were all happy. You, you were retiring. So what's happened since then? <laughs> so um, after over 40 years uh, in, a, in a career in the NHS working full time and doing starting, I was a nurse and, and, and I continued to be a nurse, uh, but I ended up as director of quality and nursing in, um, in the commissioning unit um, at, the, at the CCG. And I had decided that I'd got to a point where I would prefer not to be reorganized again. And I really actually was missing any kind of patient contact. And so I, I decided that now was the right time to retire. But I, I, I wasn't retiring from life. I wasn't retiring from nursing. And I'd already been um, given the great honor of being a trustee on the board of the hospice. And um, it was at a time where we were building a new hospice. So I was really keen to be able to give as much time as possible to what is an amazing cause. So that was one thing. And I also had other skills that I was still using. I'm a best interest assessor for the Mental Capacity Act. And I'd been um, supporting the leader program, the learning disability uh, program, and the, the, the reviews of mortality um, of people with learning disabilities. So I was able to retire in one sense, but continue and actually grow the kind of roles that I wanted to do um, much more. Uh, near the patient facing being able to use some of the amazing kind of experiences that I've had over the years but to a different aim really and and so that's why I still work probably even more than full time <laughs> but in a varied career really I have a portfolio career now which is stimulating and and really exciting. Susie, could you give us a bit of an overview of your experience and a little bit of an overview of the hospice? Yeah, certainly. So um, I started nursing uh, in the ooh, mid to late 80s, so four years I care to remember. Um, I've been in a variety of backgrounds. Uh, neurosurgery or neurosciences has been my main key background, um, but also in paediatrics. Um, I've also worked extensively with the military as a reservist. Um, and so it was probably about 10 years ago and I accidentally fell into the hospice world um, and quite frankly I've never looked back really um, it's been a fabulous experience this is my third hospice that I've worked at um, and yeah it just it's fell very neatly and not tidily for me in my career so. So how many patients does uh, St Wilfrid's Hospice support? So we support we have a ward for 14 patients Currently, um, we have just built a new hospice for the idea of future proofing. So we have got some extra beds, which clearly are not funded at the moment, and we probably don't need those at this moment in time. But in the next uh, ten to thirty years, we probably will do. Um, uh, but we also support uh, a quite an extensive community um, alongside our community colleagues. So we've probably got another. On our books, 240 patients that we currently support um, in the wider environment. And can I ask, where you mentioned you've built a new 
a new hospice and it's got some beds in it, but they're they're not filled and not funded. How do you cover the cost of that if you, you don't need it now, but you've built it for the future? Shall I? Mm-hmm. So, so obviously we are a charity. We only get 16% of our budget from the NHS. Um, the rest is fundraising and, um, you know, the gifts from the community, the support from the community um, and fundraising activities. It, it costs just over £22,000 a day to run the hospice. And uh, the, we have had to raise the majority to build the new hospice um, as well on top of continuing to run. We built it um, in a way because we, we had a lovely building, but it was old. It, it, it opened in 1987 and it wasn't allowing us to expand and be able to, you know, necessarily provide all the services that we can for community patients, you know, our living well centre and, and, and also to meet the standards of, of um, today and the future, really ensuring that every room can facilitate, you know, the right equipment, the hoisting equipment, making sure they've all got um, individualised bathrooms, you know, all those kind of um, things that, that we want to be able to give our patients. So, after a lot of obviously searching it and looking at whether we could adapt the existing building, it, it, it was decided that the only thing we could do really and continue giving services was to um, rebuild it in, an, in a new place, um, which we've done. Okay. So, yes, we've got, you know, extra rooms, but also the building that we've got is built to um, as much as possible, reduce costs, etc. and so okay. forth. And we've got that flexibility if the NHS want to pay for extra beds, you know, potentially, um, you know, we can have that negotiation. But we do have to be mindful that, you know, the, the community is not a never ending pot and we have to work within the resources that we know that we can fund. So how long, Celine, have you been in this position for? So as the chair of the trustee board? Yes, it's November. <laughs> so I've been on the trustee board now since the end of 2015. And I took over as chair um, in November. I was lucky enough to shadow the existing chair for quite an extensive time, more than a chair normally does. But that was because we knew that we had such a big project on the go that at the point of opening the new building um that the existing chair was stepping down as chair as well as a trustee because she'd done her term so it was important for me to work very closely and get a lot of the background that she had and she she'd worked so hard to do um so i i had a, a you know an extensive sort of shadowing period which was really useful and what is a trustee what do you do what is your role so um a trustee um, is is a little bit like a non-exec in an NHS organisation, except that we don't get paid. So trustees are volunteers as well. Um, so we give our time and our skills and experience uh, for free. Um, and our responsibilities include ensuring that the resources that are given to us by the community are used well. Uh, that we stick to our, um, our, our, our terms of why we're set up a, a, as a charity, um, that, that we uh, are always looking at doing things for the good of the public, 
and in their best interests, ensuring that we manage the resources well and that we're transparent in how we spend that money and that, you know, the reputation of the hospice, because, you know, if you're so reliant on your community giving to you, then obviously we have to honour that and do the very best for the, those people giving, you know, it could be a couple of quid, it could be, you know, a legacy. So um, of several hundred thousand, um, but they are giving that money that they could have given to anyone else. Yeah. So really important to us that we're seen as um as being there for local people to give to give services for local people and that we do it well so so the trustees are ultimately responsible for ensuring that that happens and nobody on the board is in a pay position no 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 trustee is in a pay position um obviously we have um senior management team members on our, our, our board um, who who do get paid, you know, the director and the CEO, but every single trustee is, is a volunteer. Amazing. Um, Susie, what is your role as a director of nursing? What were you initially tasked to do? And was that role always there or is it a new role? Uh, so for the organisation, it's a fairly new role. I believe they did have one many years ago, then it evolved into something different and then they decided uh to bring the role back again um and my main uh remit i suppose was to bring particularly the nursing services um, but i also have the responsibility for the therapy services as well to bring those uh together a lot more they were beginning to sort of stove pipes so we had the ward area we had the community and then we had oh, what was the old daycare hospice uh services so my remit really when I first came in was to try and bring those services closer together to work together um, and look at how we work more effectively and efficiently. So that was my key remit when I first came in. Um, I suppose my day-to-day role is to ensure that those services are facilitated and coordinated so not too dissimilar really from a trustee's point of view is actually making sure that we've got the resources in the right place um, so that we can give that timely quality care and the staff feel well supported in delivering that care. What's the most challenging part of your role, Susie? Uh, on a day-to-day basis, um, I suppose it's ensuring that we've got the right staff doing the right thing at the right place. Um, I mean, our, our overall challenge really is, um, you know, our ageing population this is is having increasing complex healthcare needs and I suppose having a workforce that's got the relevant skills that can be highly flexible to meet those demands and work very closely with our community colleagues is probably the biggest challenge that we're facing at the moment. What roles are you specifically talking about that you need more of or need more skills in? Um, Well it's always first of all is to always look at um, how effectively and efficient your staff are working because we'll all we all go, oh, yeah, we need more of. Um, so that is, I suppose, my main aim at the moment is to really looking at how effective we are, but also how efficient we are. So mobile working for our community teams, working closer to the patient, uh, closer with our colleagues so we're not duplicating care um, is one of the key things. Then it's about going and looking very carefully about what roles we have got and who fills those so for instance 
We have struggled to get experienced band seven community nurse specialists. Um, so we've tried a slightly different tact and um, have developed an associate practitioner type role of which we have actually got a paramedic in that role delivering that care. So he's almost training up to be a specialist in end-of-life care uh, and delivering services around symptom control out in the community. I was just When you were talking, I was thinking about um, in primary care, in the primary care networks where they're getting these new roles down and they've got uh, the opportunity for pharmacists and link workers, um, AMPs and physicians associates, Along with that additional role you just mentioned, are you thinking about, okay, well, they're, over there they've got link workers and social prescribing. Are you thinking about the same sort of things? Certainly. Well, I think there's two things. One is that we need to link in with those. So we need to be a lot, lot closer at the PCN level um, of actually working alongside our colleagues. So, again, it's that duplication of care because there's no point in me getting a social prescriber in if actually a GP practice has already got one of those. What we need to do is link in closer with those types of uh, roles um, and talking to our community colleagues. So it may be that we are the lead provider in one area, but we provide education and support in another area. Um, so that's the first thing. But we are also looking at what at changing some of our more traditional roles and moving away from those traditional roles. I think one of the other um, sides of being working with a hospice and and the board as well um, is is the fact that it it's obviously a healthcare organisation and that's its fundamental aim. Except it's a small organisation that also has to do its own communications, its own fundraising. We have shops, we have a retail arm, um, we do online retail, we have actual shops. Um, so actually the, the, the skills of the board have to be um, quite diverse um, and, and in many of those roles, um, you know, we need really skilled people that are at the top of their game, but actually are willing to roll up their sleeves and do as well, because we, we, we have a very small senior management team. I was going to say, it's, <laughs> it's the same for the senior management team. We're very lean in, in terms of the, the senior management team and the board. Yeah. Um, and it is about us um, having some flexibility about the skill set that we bring to the table on mm -hmm. what we're prepared to do. So I will roll my sleeves up and do the comms messaging, you know, as, as well as doing the nursing care and vice versa. You know, we all have a, a part to play, yeah. I think. Multi-skilled. Is that hard to recruit to? Because I, I can relate as a small business, um, you want all-rounders. You want to be able to say, this is your core job, but we might need a bit of help with marketing. We might need a bit of help. We've all got to move building. You know, we've all got to help with this. Is that, do you find that that's challenging to recruit to? I, I don't think we've found, no, I think, uh, I think those who, who enjoy that will stay. And so we don't have any problems retaining staff. No. I suppose it's getting the message out there and, and people understanding actually as a charity, we have probably got a, a particularly a healthcare charity. We've probably got a little bit more flexibility than the traditional NHS in that we can, as long as we stay within our governance remit, but we can change services fairly quickly to fit the needs of the patient. 
without going through several layers of, of bureaucracy, really. I mean, the other element as well around staff is the amazing volunteers we've got. So we've got 503 volunteers and the roles that we have for volunteers are so varied. And of course, we, we talk a lot about loneliness and, and you know, uh, and we have lots of people that become volunteers and stay volunteers for for years. You know, we've just given out our 30 year award of a volunteer and some of them, um, you know, just do amazing roles and they swap around roles. So but we have welcomers on the ward. We have um, pe- receptionists. We have people working in our shops. Yeah. Complimentary therapists all taking on volunteer roles and supporting the work that we do. So there's a whole culture about people wanting to be here because we all believe in the same, same thing. And I, I think that makes for a very, a very welcoming place to work. And I think, you know, that's why we retain staff as well. That's incredible. And when you say we, you've built that culture where you're all working towards the same thing, what is that thing? That. So I I think that that thing is ensuring that people at um, the end of life, and I'm not talking about the last five minutes necessarily, but are facing a a condition that they know eventually will, um, you know, end their lives, that we want people to be able to say what they want from that period of time, that People want to ensure that it's as comfortable as possible and that actually we're there to support them to live how they want to live right up until the end. And I think everybody that works for the organisation probably has that same that yeah. same aim. So whether you're the gardener, whether you're the washer-upper in the kitchen or whether you're a volunteer or director of nursing or chair of the trustees, I think everybody has that focus on quality care for patients has it always been that way since you've been there, Celine? Or I, I think it has. And I've got the, the, the pleasure of having, because I was a community nurse in this area, I, I worked with um, you know, the, the, the hospice staff when I was working in the community. Um, I, I can remember that I used to be on, um, on the ward in the acute hospital with the very first matron that opened this hospice. My mother was looked after by this hospice. My brother-in-law was looked after by this hospice. So over the years, over all of those 87 years, um, as all of those years since 1987, um, I've seen and been, you know, seen the people work and had contact with them at various points in my career and my personal life. And I've never seen anything less than the commitment that we still have today. What would you say, and I keep referring to primary care networks because that's kind of my little world at the moment, but what would you say, or to a developing network or another charity or another hospice, how do you build that culture? You're saying you've already got, you know, you've always had it, but not everybody has that. And it's what advice and lessons learned could you share? How do you build that? It's around that values. It's about sharing those values and making sure that you follow those values. I think it's it's being aware of those values right from word go and living by them. And sometimes you need to be evangelistic about it sometimes. Um, but actually, I think 
that's probably where it stems from is the is the values of the organization and sometimes you need to just push people um to to continue with those um but highlighting it where it drops off um and sometimes that needs an autocratic evangelistic look and then other times it's actually demonstrating and by leadership and and moving things forward and I, I think that's how it becomes embedded and and natural then if that makes sense. I, I think I think you're right, but I think we also are very lucky because the hospice world does have a good reputation. You know, overall, um, you know, I think the, the issue we struggle with now is that some people don't recognise what a hospice does until they are faced with you know sadness and their family needing end of life care and then suddenly when they see that actually it's not as sad it is not you know it, it it's actually um helping people to live as much as possible rather than just you know sort of saying it's it's time for you to die i you know and then once they've seen that then they they have a completely different view um but overall, anyone that's ever touched by a hospice, I, you know, they, they see the work that all of the staff involved do um, and that the, they're putting the patient first. And I think that kind of that reputation goes before us. So I think we're very lucky that over the years, um, because the hospice world is actually still quite new uh, in the scale of things, you know, um, the first hospice. Was it? I'm not sure, but it was 60, it's, so it's only 30, 40 years, yeah, 50 years old, maybe. Yeah, so in the big scheme of it, and and although there's obviously been changes, they haven't had the upheaval that other sectors in the health service have had. So it, it's kind of people people know it's there and and they respect it. And once they've had they've been touched by it, then often you know that they they their loyalty to to the care that's provided remains so you mentioned you've done an incredible fundraising effort and you've got your new build um you're thinking about new roles um what is working what else is working really well at the moment (laughs) well i suppose our biggest uh thing that we're working on is with our community teams um clearly things are changing out in the in the wider community uh, environment so it is about us changing how we work slightly so traditionally we've held a caseload per individual uh, we're looking at working closer as as a community team so having a community caseload but actually aligned with our PCNs um, we have followed we've sort of worked very closely with um, Sussex Community Foundation Trust um, and looking at their lay down so that we're mirroring what is already out there in the community um, and really getting out there and, and engaging with the PCNs um, in, and actually explaining the role of, of what we do as a hospice. It's probably one of the key things at the moment that we've, we're really beginning to work towards um, our living well services. So as Celine said, with the new hospice we've built Um, a lovely new centre and it's actually about taking some of those services that we're developing um, out closer to the patient so one of the things that we're really looking at is using our retail space and outlooks which are 
in local areas and, and perhaps using that to to get closer to our patients and get the message out um, in terms of uh, healthcare and, and engagement. So one of the things I'm thinking of when you're talking is that you guys are really creative and entrepreneurial. You're very business savvy to be able to mobilize so many volunteers to raise so much money. You've got retail, you've got different spaces. Do you, even though you're a charity, do you see yourselves as a business? I would say yes. Yeah, I yeah. think you have to be businesslike in, you know, I, I, I we're not business because we're not making a profit you know and everything is plowed in but you do have to be business-like and you know you do have to make decisions that are going to ensure the long-term financial sustainability of the charity because otherwise you're failing your population you're failing your people and you're failing your staff and and there's no doubt that um charities uh small local charities are up against some really big charities that have a lot of resources that can do major campaigns and we're very reliant on being out there in our local population and keeping them on board and supporting us um, so it, it, it is a challenge um, you've got to kind of go between um, you know being seen as the people that do the local fun run and 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 raise money there but then on you know around the board table you've got to make some very strategic and sometimes difficult decisions about how you protect the long-term um resources, resources yeah. and 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 viability of the organization so one thing i wanted to highlight is you are the first double act that i've had on the podcast <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I just thought that was really nice and I just thought it clearly shows you guys have got a really good working relationship and it made me think what what makes a good team what makes a, I know you it's not just two but there's two of you here today what makes a good partnership what makes a good team well I, I think it's about open and honesty yeah. and you know I'll be honest I'm a nurse I'm a nurse by background so now I am trustee and a chair of the board so I one of my roles is line managing the CEO um, who I've known for a, a very long time and and it's a hospice and yes I've kind of outlaid that we have a lot of um, other arms to it. it's not just their care but you know that's close to my heart I have to I have to sometimes step back from being and we, and we have to tell her to and step back. And they have to tell me to step back because, um, you know, I passionately care about what they do and, and, and I have to remind myself that my role in this is slightly different sometimes. And they have to tell me and, and we have to then just get over that and sort of, <laughs> you know, and, and I think we do, but I think it is because I say, look, you know, Am I getting too operational here? And they go, yes, yes. but out, you know. So, but, but we have that conversation, you know. And, but that's important because I think that's what makes a good team. And and they know that if 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 ever I'm going to say something, I'm going to do it constructively, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to just say, have we thought about this? Um, and if they've got a really good, you know, comeback on me, that's great, you know. Um, but but we have to we have to be prepared to take. Uh, a bit of criticism and and banter and challenge and then just work it out because we've got to work together and we've got to make this work all the time. And equally from from a senior management team, certainly from my behalf, is the fact that actually our trustees are engaged. They do care. Uh, they have a visibility. We have even our non-clinical 
um, trustees who are interested in knowing what the clinical work is and, and getting a better understanding of what our challenges are. So for me, it's that visibility of the board um, and, you know, people recognising who they are. Or I get staff saying, who's that gentleman? I've seen him several times before and I'm able to explain who they are. And I have worked in organisations where I, wouldn't, I couldn't have told you even as a fairly senior manager who the trustees were. So it's a two-way process, really. Is your board of trustees diverse? So um, it's interesting because we're just thinking about um, how we make it more diverse. So if you were to look round, it, it, it's probably what people expect <laughs> a trustee board. Um, you know, sort of uh, it's, it's mixed. There is a, a good split of, of male and female. Um, there's a whole range of expertise from people having run their own business. Do you have, do you have any colour on your board? No, we don't. Is that reflective of where you, of your population? Well, to a degree, yes, it okay. is. However, um, we, we cover a huge um, area. So, so we've got pockets within that that there is um, a far greater uh, diversity of culture um, than, than we reflect. And, and literally this, this year, um, it, we are looking at, you know, how we can actually encourage people to take on those on trustee roles. And, and, but, but we also have to recruit for skill. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it, it's a balance between making sure that we open it up and people feel welcome to take on these roles um at, but they have the skills that that the hospice needs to ensure that we're productive and and sustainable um but yeah it's it's not as diverse as it it potentially could be or needs to be and just to round up is there anything that you would like to share um anything that people don't know about the hospice life and what a fantastic organization st wilfrid's is so I think for me, one of the key things is that we, we still struggle with people who haven't touched us as, as a hospice being a scary place, somewhere you, you wouldn't necessarily want to go to. Um, yet it's got so much more to offer. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we don't just look after people who've got cancer. Obviously, that was kind of the history. There's a whole range of conditions now that our wellbeing centre can support people to have, you know, months, years, more active life by supporting them. Um, and actually, even when, you know, you, you do finally maybe need to come in, um, many of our patients go out again once their symptoms are controlled. So we want people to feel comfortable um, exploring what a hospice is asking us questions and and taking opportunities one of the great things about moving into a new hospice is that we were able to open up for tours for, for people who would never have um, necessarily come inside a hospice I think we had eventually over 800 people um, took up the offer uh, and and you know that's amazing um, and it and it just gives people the other side of this and you know there is there's so much kindness and care and and thoughtfulness um amongst the staff the volunteers and the community when when they become um you know collected 
that that is just a joy to be part of really uh yeah i mean absolutely completely echo what you've just said and it is breaking down those perception barriers i think that also the other problem that we possibly have or challenge that we have is particularly um, in oncology is that there are so many treatment regimes and and there's a real belief that we can't do anything until such time as everything's been finished and completed and actually we if we've got earlier referrals we can help people come to terms with their their long-term illnesses um, at a much earlier stage and the moment we're fighting over a very late referral with actually it's too late to be able to have some of those conversations or support carers or support the rest of the family and their loved ones. Um, whereas an earlier referral will break down some of those perception barriers that we're only there to come in one way and go back out another way and that we're dark and dismal and it's a, a hugely depressing place. Um, an earlier referral will allow us to get in there to do some real work to help support other healthcare workers to to deliver their treatment plans and um, support basically the family um, or the patient and their families. And what one piece of business advice would you give to another hospice to be (laughs) successful and sustainable? Uh, Well it's a sustainability really it's looking after those resources we I personally think the hospice world particularly in the last sort of 15 to 20 years has have gone to grow, grow, grow because the money was there. There are effectively new organisations. Um, and so hospices have grown and grown and grown. And without actually looking back at the sustainability of it all. And I think, you know, we, we're working in a different environment these days. And actually it's really understanding what your, your main aim and your main mission is. Um, and making sure that those finances and staff resources are sustainable. But that's the same for any business, isn't it? Yep, it is. But it's interesting. I like asking the question. It's always very similar, but I I like to ask because people may say something different. Thank you so much. Hopefully when you listen to this back, you have provided so many tips and bits of advice. It's really, really interesting and it'll be really, really helpful to people listening. So thank you so much. And if people want to find out more about um, St Wilfred's Hospice and whereabouts you're based, where can they contact you? So we're based in Chichester, um, stwh.co.uk. Celine, I know that you use um, a little bit of social media. People can find you um, at Celine Duran. We'll put your link in the bio if people want to get in touch with you. And we'll also put your social media links down. And thank you so much to you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Tara. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. And we hope that you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, we would love it if you left us an iTunes review or if you comment, like and share it on our social media channels. You can find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care and on LinkedIn, just look for Tara Humphrey. So the Business of Healthcare podcast is being brought to you by THC Primary Care. We are a project management company specialising in the development of primary care networks, GP federations and training hubs. If you need support or you are looking for advice on how to progress one of your initiatives, please drop us an email so I can arrange a call with you so we can discuss this further. 
Our email is admin at thcprimarycare.co.uk. We've been helping primary care networks with their development plans, helping them to make the most of their network meetings, sharing training resources. We've had questions like what do we include in a project plan? We have implemented network-based contracts across GP federations. We also support the day-to-day operational management of training hubs and have also got experience in setting them up from scratch. If we can't help you, we definitely know some people who will be able to help you, so please do get in touch. And that's just to remind you, our email address is admin at thcprimarycare.co.uk or come and find us on www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. And in the meantime, please tune in to the next episode of the Business of Healthcare podcast. Podcast.